Amen. Morning. Good to see you, third service. Uh, it's not often that I get to come hang out with you, so it's just nice to be here. And uh, good to give Pastor Jeff a little bit of a break. He and his family are away and enjoying some time, and uh, that's good for that to happen. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed my time. Uh, we were away last weekend out west in Arizona where it was actually cold and you could wear a jacket and stuff. All right. Unlike Florida, uh, which apparently is confused about what time of the year it is. But anyway, um, no, it's, it's, it's coming, right? The cool air is coming eventually. And, uh, but it was really nice. Thoroughly enjoyed family. My wife's, all of my wife's family is out there. So um, we saw everyone and it was, it was really good. I uh, hope you were blessed by your time with family as well. Um, I think it was mentioned earlier that uh, for first and third services, we're going to be doing this uh, focus on creation health. And um, you're going to be hearing uh, messages over the next eight weeks here in first and third about, um, about creation health. And the principle is there. <clears throat> for, uh, for second service, um, perhaps you remember it was a couple of weeks ago, I had a young lady up here. Her name was Brooke Thomas. And she's going to be, we're going to be focusing on uh, a series that we're calling Lifeline. Same type of focus on um, spiritual life and also the physical uh, life in terms of getting healthy, getting active, and that sort of thing. We're calling it Lifeline. We're going to go four weeks. But to coincide with that series, that Lifeline series, focusing on getting us active and in shape, um, Brooke, uh, she's a personal trainer. She's going to be doing two fitness classes per week in our Upper Youth Center. And uh, we were scheduled to start this week, but we're pushing everything back a little bit. We're not kicking off the series, um, the Creation Health series, or the Lifeline series until next week. So just to make that note. But what I wanted to mention to you is that Brooke is actually here. And if you're interested in being a part of those sessions, she can give you all of the details, all of the information, and we would love for you to be a part of that. Uh, we're going to work it out to where as young as 12 years old. Uh, if you have kids, you maybe you can make it a family thing and uh, come out and be a part of these sessions with Brooke. She's amazing. It's going to be a great time. So stop by on your way out if you can, and chat with her and get the info on Lifeline uh, workout sessions, all right? Cool. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for um, Genesis, uh, which means beginning. Thank you for the start of a new year for 2016. Uh, Father, it's a blessing that we just have the privilege to be present and to be here. So I pray, O oh God, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds, that as we live in anticipation of a new year, which will bring um, new opportunities and new opportunities to see you work and to move, I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to us now. May your spirit be present in this place. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, so I, I went to, and I probably have mentioned this before, I went to um, a boarding school in northwest Arkansas called Ozark Academy. And uh, perhaps if you're visiting, you're not uh, maybe a member of the Adventist Church, haven't been around us a lot, but when we say academy, uh, we're not talking about like the Oscars or anything. We're actually talking about these schools that um, very often young people in the Adventist Church go to. And, and it's a boarding school. And in my case, and we, of course, we have a school right here, Forest Lake Academy. I went to Ozark Adventist Academy in Northwest Arkansas. I spent a couple of years there. And um, I'll never forget my, my time there in 
along, towards the end of the year, something happens at our, at our schools and really at any high school um, or college is they start handing out these, uh, these yearbooks, right? So May comes and school's about the end and, and they have these yearbooks that they hand out. Every student gets a yearbook and it's really cool because you can look through and find all the pictures and they always seem to catch like your worst picture, right? It's like, uh... You know, what was the photographer thinking there? And they, so, so you go through and you look for your pictures and you look for all the stuff that happened through the school years captured in this, in this, in this book. And it's, it's kind of cool to go through. Now, the other thing that happens with, with these yearbooks is that you go around and you get your friends and perhaps even your enemies, I don't know. You get people to sign your book, right? And they, they write stuff about you. And so what I did is I went to my garage and this is a miracle in and of itself that I could actually find one of my yearbooks. This is, this is my senior yearbook from Ozark Academy. And I'm not going to tell you how old it is, but, but it's my yearbook. And um, I just wanted to, um, over the break, I was thinking about um, relationship with God and knowing God. And, and um, I, I was going back and I, I, I decided to go and look at these, um, at these yearbooks because I remember some of the things that people wrote. And uh, I'm going to read to you one of the little things uh, that somebody wrote in here that I thought was kind of funny, actually. Um, this is written by some person who I apparently had um, my locker near. All right, so this is a person that I was in school with at Ozark, and my locker was next to them, uh, a young girl. I've really enjoyed going to school with you these past two years, and you having your locker next to me, to mine, like you ever used it. (laughs) And here's the last thing she said, don't you have any books? (laughs) Now, I did have books, okay, and I did go and I used the locker occasionally. I didn't always know where the books were, but mind you, I, I got through, right? I mean, I did make it out of that school. But anyway, there's a lot of things that happen, or a lot of things that people wrote. And one of the interesting things that I noticed as I went back and I looked through a couple of uh, college yearbooks and so forth, one of the things that I noticed is that there were the occasional students who would write something with, that had sort of a spiritual um, emphasis to it. And, and it, it made sense. This was a Christian school. These were, you know, these were students that uh, very often grew up in church and they knew they, they have a relationship with God. They're growing in that relationship with God. But I went back and I sort of read some of these things and listened to some of the things that people wrote that had sort of these spiritual overtones about a relationship with God. And uh, some of them would say, and you probably heard these, you, go, you could go back to your own yearbooks and read these. Keep God first. Keep God first. Um, another one was stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. You know, they, sign, they write something nice, great to know you, it's been fun, hope you have a great life in the future. Stay close to Jesus. And then another one was God bless. Just a real simple God bless. God bless you. That was probably from a, a, a staff member or a teacher. Uh, here's, here's one um, that was really kind of neat. Trust God always. Trust God always. That's what somebody wrote in my yearbook. And then this one, which you have, we've all heard, and perhaps we've even written it ourselves, right? God has a plan for your life, all right? So coming to the end of the year, and we know there's a new phase of life coming for you, you're graduating. I know that there's a future for you because God has a plan for your life. So I told you as I was thinking about 
relationship with God over, uh, over the vacation, thinking about the message for today to kick off 2016. And these memories sort of came back about what people wrote in my yearbook, particularly those things with the spiritual overtones. And I was kind of, I was kind of faced with this dilemma that emerged for me. Because I read those things, and having been around church for a long time, just like many of you, I began to realize that those, that I wasn't exactly sure what those words mean. I wasn't exactly sure what it means to keep God first. I wasn't sure what it meant to stay close to Jesus. I wasn't really sure what it meant to trust God always. So I was kind of, you know, I was kind of struck with, with this idea that, man, I, I hear those words and there's a certain level of understanding and I get it. And, and in our context, right, in our community, those words we say and we hear those things all the time. But I was sitting there kind of going, man, what does that, what does that mean? What does that look like in reality? I know we say it and we kind of all sort of get some idea of what it means, but what does it really mean? What does it mean for my life? And in fact, I, I kind of began to think um, that they could possibly become rather cliché. You know, that, that's actually the definition of the word cliché. It's when words or phrases are used to the point that they are so often used that they lose their meaning and their depth and, and their power. They become cliché. And I decided that to a certain extent, yeah, these, these words that we say in our communities of faith, these words that we say in our churches and so forth, sometimes they can kind of lose their meaning and they just sort of become these things that are said in the community and we sort of understand them, we kind of get them. We, there's an assumption that people will know what to do with these words and what they mean and so forth, but they're just kind of out there and they become, they've sort of lost their impact and their meaning. And they become somewhat cliche. Here, here's another example. I mean, and again, I, I'm not saying that we shouldn't say these things and that they're not important to our communities. But think about how many times here in 2016, you're going to hear happy Sabbath. <laughs> right? You already heard about 15 times this morning in church, right? All right. <laughs> you're going to hear that a lot. Again, it has special, it's appropriate for our context. But what does it, does it? How does that, what does that mean? Do we just sort of say some of these things to fill space and time? Do we say some of these things because they help us to sound spiritual to the community? I, again, not saying that we shouldn't say them. I'm just saying sometimes words get overused. Spiritual terminology gets used and it loses its power. And it sort of just becomes these cliche words that have very little meaning to us. And we're challenged with that. Because sadly what happens is if when words sort of become rather cliche, relationships can become rather cliche. And the, the danger is as we, as we, as Christians go about each and every day and as we are, are thinking about relationship to God and living in a constant relationship with God, um, the relationship itself can become somewhat cliche. 
It can become sort of empty and, and plastic and just sort of, sort of, we can be sort of overly pious and, and we just sort of become these sort of hollow Christians. And, and those types of Christians in the culture and in the community in which we live, those types of Christians are always sort of, we're sort of the ones on the outside saying all these things. And the culture is sort of, yeah, that's the, we know that that's what those Christians say, and that's, yeah, whatever. They're not real sure what it means, and we definitely don't know what it means. So, yeah, whatever. You're just sort of saying these things over here. And with the, the church tends to have very little impact on culture and society because those words have been said so much, but have very little, or can have very little, meaning. So I was, this is what I was wrestling with. This is what I was struggling with over the break is how do I make sure that, that, that spiritual life and my Christianity in 2016 isn't just cliche? Isn't just a matter of me going through the motions? Isn't just a matter of me being able to say the right words and fill, you know, fill time with words that my community will understand and they'll assume that I'm okay spiritually and I'm good when in reality there's... There's just not a whole lot going on there. What do I do to sort of avoid, to avoid becoming rather cliche? I, I think the answer is found in Genesis. Go to Genesis with me. Either you can watch it, you can follow on the screen, or you can, um, you can pull it up on your device. Or if you have a Bible, uh, pull it up old school. But Genesis sort of gives us a little insight into how we don't become these sort of cliche Christians that say a whole lot, but it has very little impact. The context of these passages here, Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, the context is that there's been the fall, that Adam and Eve, though God gave them paradise, God gave them everything they could ever imagine, God also gave them a rule to follow. He gave them their, his law at the time. And he, he said, hey, this is what I want you to do, but this you cannot do. And lo and behold, the one little thing that God sort of gave them to do, they couldn't handle it. And they found themselves deceived. And this is the story of the fall. And these passages tell us about this, this um, now their, their new connection or their first interaction with God after the fall. Follow it here. Um, verse 8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Verse 9, but the Lord God called, listen to this, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked so I hid. Now here's an interesting thing. And I, I think it, it really sort of, it, it begins to help us to understand what it, what it means to have uh, depth to the Christian life. And how we avoid sort of becoming the, the hollow version of, of faith and of Christianity. And that is, rather than being cliche, we understand that we are called Christians. What do I mean by that? Well, here's, here's Adam and Eve in their most vulnerable state. Here they are in shame, they're hiding, and they're fearful and afraid. They have blown it tremendously. That's an understatement. They've just blown it. Sin has now entered the world through Adam and Eve. It's a mess. So much a mess that they are naked. They realize they are naked and vulnerable and ashamed. 
But the cool thing about the God that we serve is that God does not give them the silent treatment, does he? No, God calls out to them. God calls out to them. You talk about a, a group of, you know, you talk about a couple of people who are, who are, who have become sort of cliche, who have, who have lost their connection with God through this act of disobedience. They've, they've sort of, they, they become rather hollow. They've found themselves apart from God, lacking a significant relationship to the extent that they run and they hide. They realize that they're just broken and a mess. And the natural assumption for them would be, there's no way that God could ever want to be with us. There's no way that this awesome and mighty God would ever want to interact with us again. There's no way that God won't allow this to affect our relationship. And yet what you hear is God calling out to man. He doesn't give them a silent treatment. He doesn't, he doesn't just sort of cut all things off and say, hey, I'm done with you. That's the last straw. This, this is it. You've blown it. God calls out to them. And he, he reaffirms his original intent for creating them in the first place. And that is, I want to be with you. I want a relationship with you, but I want one that has depth and meaning. And I want one that has words that when we say it, it's more than just up here, it's here. And, it's, and it comes from a place of deep relationship with me. Yes, I know you've blown it. And over 2015, you found yourself in places where you were falling back on those words that you just sort of learned along the way in your spiritual life, and they weren't coming from a place of real depth. They were just sort of here, and we said them, and we say them to sort of keep up appearances, right? To make sure that everyone else thinks that we're doing fine, and make sure that, that people think, at least to a certain extent, that there is a spiritual connection, and in reality, if we were honest with ourselves, we know that we have fallen, we have given into sort of that cliche walk. We just sort of say the stuff and we go through the motions and we allow people to just say, assume that we're okay. But don't forget, don't forget that God calls. In the same way that he called Adam and Eve, in the same way that after their grand disobedience that God called. For, why, God didn't need to call. He knew where they were. <laughs> but God calls. And I think it's significant because, because that same call that God gave to them is the same call that he gives to you and me. Especially if we've kind of come to the place where there's not a whole lot going on. He says, hey, hey, where are you? Where are you? I, I, I want to be with you. I, I don't want to know where you are so that I can get rid of you. I want, I want to know where you are so that there can be something more going on. It's the, the remedy for our tendency towards cliche Christianity isn't to learn how to keep up the facade. The remedy is to respond to the call of God to return to 
a real relationship of depth and meaning with him. Scripture affirms this, Old Testament and New. So go there with me. If you go to Jeremiah 24, 7, check this out. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their hearts. They will return to me with all their heart. And that's the thing that sort of happens to us, right? The heart, the body is sort of present, but the heart really isn't in it. It's okay, we get there. We sort of grow weary of this. We grow weary of the expectations often that are placed on us from our faith community, right? I mean, let's just be honest. I just need a break from this. But God says, I will give you a heart. So it gives you a new heart to return. Zechariah 1.3, it's affirmed there too. Zechariah 1.3, therefore tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. God steps into the picture and he calls out because he wants to reclaim you for himself. He is not satisfied, nor are you. Your heart isn't satisfied. Our hearts aren't satisfied with just sort of going through the motions, being rather cliche, saying all the right things, but knowing that I am so far from him. He says, return. John six thirty seven. check this out. If there's any question as to whether or not God would receive you when you return, here it is. All those the Father gives me will come to me And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. I think one of the, again, the beauty of the passage in Genesis is that God comes to them in their weakest and most vulnerable state. They are naked and they are ashamed. They are fearful and afraid. And God steps in and he says, hey, Can we get back to what we used to be? Can you return to me? I will return to you. I call out to you because this is no way to do this relationship. Whoever comes to me, I will not cast out. So how do we... How do we move sort of in this? What, is, what, is the, what are the, the steps we take that as we think about a new year and the potential that we could sort of fall into the same trap of just going through the motions and doing life? What are the things? Um, and this is sort of what I was thinking about and, and contemplating over the time away. And I came, I came to these, a couple of things. A couple of things came through as I looked at James chapter 1, verse 22, and, and then a passage in Philippians. And here's, uh, here's what James had to say. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. The great disconnect for those who look on, on the outside looking at Christians is that very often what they say doesn't match with what they do. So our influence is lessened. Our impact is lessened because there's no congruity between what we say and what we profess and what we testify about and the reality of what our day-to-day walk is. And so we become 
rather cliche. We kind of say these things and they're great platitudes and they sound nice and all this sort of thing. But when it comes to matching up with the way we live, there's a disconnect. So to avoid a cliche faith and a cliche Christianity, all James says, and you want to read the book of James, especially at the beginning of the year, if you want a good uh, kick to, to get going, a good kick start to get going. Read the book of James. James is sort of about, it's always, it's always about this, um, this activity, not just, uh, not just uh, hearing the faith, but actually doing the faith. That's what James challenges believers to do. In fact, there's always this, this uh, big conflict among theologians about James and about Paul because Paul's all about you're saved by grace and, and it's all this work of God and it's not by works. You get to the book of James and you start reading James and you're like, wow, he believes that faith and works are important here. There's something that, that Christians have to do in response to the great salvation that they have been given. So it's a great, you know, there's always that debate between those two. But you want to read James because James talks about activating your faith and being engaged. And he says one way to do that is not just be hearers of the word, but be doers. One of the ways that we avoid a hollow, cliche, sort of passive faith experience is we won't just hear. How many sermons are we going to hear this week, right? This year. How many? You get, yeah, 51 more, baby. And that's if you come every week. All right? How many will we hear? And how full will our heads get of more stuff to know about God and then not really know God? See, that would be the tragedy. And if we hear all this stuff about our faith and we, we sort of come to deeper knowledge up here, but it never penetrates the way that we walk and the way that we step and the way that we move about in life, then we have missed out a great deal. And I know, again, those words, you know, put your faith in action almost sound cliche, but it's difficult and it's hard. It is. It's hard to do what God sort of calls us to do on a day-to-day basis. It just is. It's difficult to walk the faith. It's far easier to hear the faith than it is to walk in. It's much easier for me to talk the talk than to walk it. But that's one of the things that, that, that I believe as I was thinking about this relationship with God so that it doesn't become sort of this thing that I just do is I have to get back and begin to think more about how do I combine my faith with real walk and real steps in the right direction. Here's the second thing that came out. Philippians 3, as I was thinking about this, um, Paul's words here are are really powerful. He says, uh, it's really the first four or five words that I want you to hear. I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So we have to think about the end game, if you will. Think about the end game. Paul says, ultimately, what I want to do is know Christ. 
I want to be in relationship with him. It goes back to God's original intent, back in the garden, back for the whole reason for the call of God in the first place. God wants to be in relationship with you and me. The end game isn't simply to know a lot about God. The end game isn't simply to know uh, the, the cultural, subcultural cues of the Adventist church. The end game isn't really even simply to be a great Adventist. The end game is to know God. And if it happens that some of the fruit of that is that you somehow look like what we call an Adventist, that's a good thing. But the end game isn't simply for you to come up with all the requirements that, that we say, set out for you to be a good Adventist. The end game is that you come to know and cherish and love and enjoy the God of the universe. That's the end game. That was Paul's, that was, that was his, his primary motivation is that I know that I know that there's an intimacy, that there's a connection, that there's, that there's something substantial there. So that when I hear those words, trust God, when I hear those words, God has a plan for me, they actually mean something. Because I'm familiar with that God. I've decided that he's the one I want to know. Doesn't make it any easier. Relationships are challenging. All of you, those of you who are married, be honest. Relationships are not easy. Challenging. But ultimately, relationship with God keeps us from the rather cliche existence as believers that we will have or what, that we would have without pursuing a relationship with God. That, very, that right there is what, what Paul is after and what Paul says. So, so as you think about this and as you think about relationship with God in 2016, think about how I get my faith to match up, my hearing to match up with my actions. That the Bible is something not only that I hear but that I begin to do in reality. And then secondly, I focus on the end game. The end game isn't just knowing about God. It is to be intimate with God. That may demand something of me. That may demand more of my time. It may demand more space in my life for this relationship. It may demand that I get real about where I am because I know that call of God. I hear that call of God and I'm not being honest with God about where I am. I'm just sort of going along, ignoring that call. But God's saying, where are you? Have you fallen into that rut of cliche Christianity? Where are you? And respond as a called out believer back into a relationship, return to that relationship with God. So let's say this, let's say we're at the end of yeah, we, we finished 2015, and today I'm going to hand out to you your spiritual yearbook. Yeah, I have a spiritual yearbook for each one of us. We're going to pass it out. And it has your sort of spiritual high points. It has your spiritual low points. It has all the stuff in between. It has lots of nice articles about you, and things were good. Things weren't so good between you and God. It, you know, and maybe it has more stuff in there about perhaps the distance between you and God, but it's a spiritual yearbook. That would be interesting. 
We would see all the times, you know, in our lives where God was so prominent and so real. And then maybe times where I just sort of pretended and got by. But here's the thing about God. He continues to call out to us. He continues to invite us back into relationship. And this is the thing that God, I believe, would write in your yearbook. And he continues to write, perhaps, on our, on our hearts and on our minds. God would say this, keep me first. Keep me first. God would probably say something along the lines of, stay close to me. As you anticipate 2016, God would write in there, hey, stay close to me. God would also say, I will bless you. Remember, I blessed you in the past. Think about 2015. I know it's hard to see through some of those times, but I blessed you. I will bless you again in 2016. And God would probably say something along the lines of, I have a plan for your life. And those words are not cliche. They're not empty. They're not hollow. As long as they're connected to relationship with God. That the end game is always knowing him. That gives those words power. That makes every time I hear those words an opportunity for praise and hope. That's what God would write in your spiritual yearbook. I pray that we would get to know him in 2016. Father, thank you for this time that we've had today. Thank you, Father, that you remind us that we don't have to be cliche, but we are indeed called to return to you, to begin to live in the fullness of a relationship with you. I pray that for myself, God, and I pray that for every single person under the sound of my voice. Regardless of what we've done and where we've been, regardless of how naked and ashamed we feel, we can return to you and begin anew. Today can be that first day in a relationship back with you. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.